Hello, I'm Lisa Bien, and welcome to Bouncing Back. You only live once, but that doesn't mean that life only gives you one chance. Everyone loves to hear stories of redemption and revival, but the actual process of living those stories isn't entertaining. It's hard work, but the rewards of living through painful change are more profound than anything you've seen on the page or the screen because they came out of so much adversity. Second chances aren't something people are given, it's something they earn. Today we will hear stories of hard work and second chances. Let's get started. Our first guest truly exemplifies what it means to bounce back from adversity. At 38 years old, Chip Fournette found himself in the custody of the Maryland Division of Corrections. Realizing that his life's path needed to be completely redirected, Chip swore off of alcohol and drugs and the resolve to walk a road of self-improvement. That road eventually led him here to Temple, where he holds a 3.68 GPA. When he graduates, he plans to work in music, radio, photography, or ideally some blend of all three. Thank you for joining us today, Chip. In 1975, Tyrone Wirtz was sentenced to life without parole as an accomplice to second-degree murder. Less than four years ago, Tyrone's sentence was commuted by Governor Rendell out of respect for Tyrone's immense personal growth in the face of adversity. He has made the most of his second chance, working as a public relations consultant to the Inside Our Prison Exchange Program here at Temple. Tyrone, thank you for coming in today. Thank you. I you know, I think this is one of my most exciting shows. I've been saying it all week. I'm really excited about the show because the two of you truly exemplify what it means to bounce back. So I guess the first question I would like to ask both of you, and I'll address Chip first, is how did you cre create a life for yourself? How did you create meaning for yourself while <coughs> incarcerated? Well, first, thanks for uh, having me in here today. And the question is, uh, I, I, at first I was sitting like, how am I going to answer this? But really i knew that i had other things going on outside i knew i knew i had there was there was a day that they were going to let me out i i was in, in a situation where you were where i was like nothing's going to ever happen nothing's ever going to change so i knew i had to plan i knew that i knew that the where i was going was 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 not going was was going nowhere i knew that if i continued to live the way that i was living i was just going to be back there again and really it was quite miserable and I didn't want to be back there again. But there had to be something that kept you going. I mean, you were in the confines of prison, you know, so maybe you just, was it truly just knowing that there was a light at the end of the tunnel and you used that time to better yourself while in prison? Well, I had the support of, uh, of who's now my wife, my girlfriend um, at the time. And I, and I had the support of her and that was one of those things that was a big light at that at the end of that tunnel was was knowing that she was there for me uh she's a she's an incredible support in my life she's somebody who who not only do i we both strive to help each other be better people all the time and i knew that i had that there that's awesome so tyrone for you was mm -hmm. quite different yes yes uh th first of all thanks for inviting me on your show um really appreciate being here to tell my, uh, part of my story but anyhow um you know i was sentenced to life in prison to one of the worst prisons in the country Gradyford prison and the environment at the prison was really um 
barbaric on some levels, right? There was drugs, alcohol. And when I went in there, I was sentenced to life without parole. I was there, I, I was filled with bitter anger and rage because I didn't think I was, I should have been there for the rest of my life. And so I got caught up in the prison environment. Then I met this extraordinary guy who told me, um, even in this environment, you know, you got to create a great life for yourself while you're here. And um, it, it, I was six months into my incarceration. I had a epiphany uh, one night, um, just based on the conversation I had with this guy. And it made me think about more than just myself, because I think my first six, seven months there, I was just focused on me, poor me, pity me. And then when I told him that I had a wife, I had a daughter, I had siblings, I had parents, uh, I, I began to think about that. And I never really thought about the pain and suffering that my family was going through besides myself. And, and in that moment, I decided I needed to do something different with my life, because my life was on a down, downward spiral. You raise an excellent, excellent point, actually, about having family and how we, both of you, we all do when we, have, when we go through times of adversity. We don't mean to do it, but we create pain for our family. How, you know, how did you, how did each one of you, you know, get through that? You have to, now you have to get your family to respect you again, almost, mm -hmm. and have, you know, some regard for you. Well, it's, it's, it's been a number of years, and, and most of my family relationships were were damaged long before I before I even found myself incarcerated. I had I had been on a path of, of alcoholism and drug addiction for for many years since I was that, that path began when I was about 12, 13 years old actually. So I, I I'd already done plenty of damage, and I'm still today repairing that damage. I mean it's not it's something that didn't come along instantly, and some family members have been great in 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 welcoming me back into their lives, and and others have some more difficulty with it, and it's. It's a challenge. Is it um, a matter of trust? Is that what you think it is, the challenge? You know, you're, when you suffer from an addiction, you, you lie to people. We there's, it's, it's a combination of many things. Um, I'm also not the only person in my family with, with uh, alcohol and drug problems. So I think there's also, in my situation at least, there's people who they see me and they, 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 they're, they're threatened by the expectations that will be raised of them, I, I think is what some of the issue is. But then again, that's just purely speculation. Well, that's too bad for them because <laughs> we want to raise everybody's expectations. Yeah. That's why we're here on the show today. Mm -hmm. And I think it, your story is great. I love that you, you know, met somebody inside yeah. and mm -hmm. he was like able to <coughs> give you that. So it seems like that's your mission these days. Well, well, that was part of it. Uh, the other part was like, I always had a good relationship with my family, but, but, but for myself, right, when that night that I had that epiphany, you know, I realized, because I had told everybody prior that I was innocent, I had nothing to do with this particular crime, and then when I had this epiphany, I realized I had to begin to start taking responsibility, not just for the crime that happened, but more so for my own life, uh, because my life was out of control, I was reckless, and I knew then that I had to do something different. And um, the most powerful thing for me that really gave me the freedom to be able to navigate the environment that I was in was the fact that um, <clears throat> when I decided that I, that, that I needed to take responsibility, I wrote my family a four-page letter. Because you know, most times, like when you have family and you tell them something, they want to believe you, right? And at the time, I really believed that I was innocent. But when I came to the realization that I was with some guys one night who was committing a crime, I had to take responsibility for that. And I wrote my family a letter told them I had lied to them, that I had nothing to do with this crime. They told me I was just as guilty as the man that pulled the trigger. And, and that was really empowering for me. It gave me like self-control, uh, self-respect. And it just uh, gave me so much power when I began to do that. So, and, I, and I thought that my family really appreciated uh, that, that I was able to stand up as a man and do that. That's awesome. So I hear a lot of personal responsibility coming out from both of you, right? Yeah. Writing the letter, I always tell people, 
um, if, if I'm upset or I tell people I give advice, I go, write a letter to that person and mm -hmm. tell the truth. And mm -hmm. then look inside and see how much of you is really in that letter. Right. Take personal responsibility. So yeah. you know, having said all that, now you're here on campus. And how's it feel to, you know, be on college campus? And, you know, what, it, what are some of your long-term goals or short-term goals? Well, it's, it's actually a great thing to be here on campus. I, I love Temple University. I, uh, uh, my nephew came to visit me a few few weeks ago, and uh, I took him here to the campus. And I just I just I was just over just brimming over with with emotion and excitement of how you know what not only what this place has done for me, but just th but also thinking about where I've come. In your introduction, you said that sometimes these you know, the, the 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 road to recovery or whatever isn't always entertaining. It's been a freaking blast for me. It's, it's entertaining as <laughs> yeah. all be for me. I, well, I'm I, glad you're I, having fun. I, I do. I mean, it was it was it was too. it was difficult in the beginning for me when I when I when I started on that road. But it's it's always been fun. It's always been entertaining, and I and I entertain myself with 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 the the goals I've accomplished, where I'm going, and and what I've done with my life is is truly a lot of fun. And I and I and I look at how much fun I'm having now, and how much fun, it's it's only it only gets better every day. So it, you know, it's it's a load of fun. I love that. It's a load of fun. Tyrone, you're having fun too, aren't you? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. And plus, I got to acknowledge um, Temple University for, um, you know, I had come out of prison and the Inside Out program hired me as a, um, as a consultant to do some work for them. And um, I mean, I really love being here, um, doing the work for Inside Out. It's an incredible program. Actually, we started as um, a program inside of prison. Now it's an international program. And uh, Temple University has been recognized all around the world as a very, um, a green institution running a novel program that are uh, bringing education to so many different people. So it's incredible. So what are some of your plans for the future? Well, I know that you go around and you tell your story a lot. No, no, but I do travel. Do I'm we have not, a actually, book coming out soon? Well, I'm, I am writing a book. I am I work, also work for the Public Defense Association, and I'm a Soros Justice Fellow. Right, running a program out in the community, uh, a lot of that keeps me busy. But um, actually, my plan is I gotta uh, make a living, right? <laughs> because you know, I come out of prison at 60 years old uh, without any social security, without any um, pension, or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, uh, so uh, I focus a lot on that. But you know, the main thing that, like when you say, finding purpose in prison, you know, um, when you go through this redemptive process, it reflects an introspection. I mean, you really want to take that and you want to help other people. So. Uh, that's what my fellowship was about. That's the kind of work I was doing inside of prison. That's the kind of work I'm doing now. Well, what piece of advice, I guess, for both of you I'd ask is, you know, what piece of advice would you give to anybody right now listening to our show and watching the show? What piece of advice would you say if they're struggling with real bad adversity? Yeah. Well, I embrace it. I, I have, I, I talk to people constantly and I, on, on campus, I, I have no problem telling people that, yeah, I did some time and I had drug and alcohol problems for two reasons. One, so that they know if they want to, if they have a problem and they have somebody they need to talk to, they can, they can come to me and, and I can, you know, at least, you know, guide them or something, tell them a little bit about what I did. But also it's, it's, it's keeping my eye on the prize, you know, in the end, which is my happiness and, 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 and the happiness of, of, of my wife as well and, and the people around me that I, that I surround myself and that I love.
That's great. And I'm going to echo what Chip said, but, but also I think that what is important, no matter what you're going through in life, I want to give people the same advice that, that was given to me. First of all, you got to be honest with yourself and recognize, you know, whatever uh, problem you had. And I, I could tell you one story. Uh, there was a guy that was in prison with me, um, and he was really energetic, really smart, hardworking. Every time he came to prison, he would go home six months, eight months later, he'd be back, and he'd just pick up where he left off. He was computer literate, very smart, could write. Uh, and all that. And then, you know, after the third or fourth time, I said to him, um, I don't understand it, man. Why do you keep coming back and forth to prison? He said, well, you know, I got this drug problem. And I said, well, you know what? I don't think drugs is your problem. I think drugs is your solution. You need to go find out what your problem is right. and why you feel the need to anesthetize yourself against those problems. And then uh, he went back home. I never saw him again. Never even thought about him until one day I walked in my cell and there was a car for him saying, Tyrone, no one had ever told me that before. I just want you to know I just graduated with my master's degree from Lincoln University. I'm dedicated to you. So I say that to say that once you recognize what your problem is, you be honest with yourself. And then the advice that I was given, no matter where you are, just create a great life for yourself. You know what? That's the greatest. <laughs> That's great advice, and I can't thank you both enough for being on the show. I just want to give you both a hug because I feel like this is just great stories and everybody needs to hear your story. So thank you for being our guest today. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Lisa. Professor Jerry Stoller is a clinical psychologist who has spent more than 20 years at Temple's Department of Geography and Urban Studies. Jerry has spent decades studying the internal and external difficulties faced by people who grow up in difficult neighborhoods and he has worked on the community-based treatments for neighborhoods that are bouncing back from large-scale adversity. I'm so glad to have you here with us today, Jerry. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, Lisa. We've heard some amazing stories. I mean, I'm just like blown away by both of them, you know, Chip and Tyrone. Um, we've heard about addiction and incarceration, and we both know that there's a lot of stigma surrounding both of those words. So what advice could you give for Chip and Tyrone? Well, first of all, Lisa, thank you for inviting me to be on the show. And uh, although I'm the expert, supposed expert, no, you <laughs> are the here, expert. <laughs> I want to say that <laughs> I'm very humbled to be part of the panel because the two gentlemen that you just had on are truly the experts since they've lived uh, through the adversity and have bounced back remarkably well. Um, I think stigma is really uh, a tremendous barrier to bouncing back for anybody who's been incarcerated, for anybody who has an addiction. Um, I think that in terms of advice of how you overcome that, I think one of the things that we make a mistake about in terms of society and how we view addiction is that addiction is, is viewed as sort of a, a willpower problem or viewed as something that's, that's a problem for the individual and is not recognized as a brain disease. And people who have an addiction have their brains altered in a, in a certain way by the substances. And they end up having, you, you see the, the behavior consequences such as lying and stealing and all of those things. And it's a, it's a very difficult kind of disease to, to overcome. But the nature of it is it's a chronic relapsing disease. And hopefully someday, just like cancer used to be a, you know, a, a disease that nobody talked about that had stigma, 
hopefully in the future we'll get to the same place with addiction. Well, I guess if we talk about stigma, though, honestly, aren't there stigmas around everything that we do? And, you know, whether you're bouncing back from incarceration or you're bouncing back from being an alcoholic, you're bouncing back from personal bankruptcy, there's always stigmas surrounding it, right? So I guess what, maybe is there any advice that you could give people to maybe how they can talk themselves or coach themselves through these things we call stigmas that we we put labels on people is really what we do we're so quick to label everybody in society oh you're this you're that well i think um, one of the the problems is if you have an addiction and if you've been incarcerated those are those are stigmas that uh, are just incredibly huge but why do we overcome. find it so difficult right as a society to say you know, Tyrone and Chip, they both went, they went to prison. They paid their dues. They worked mm -hmm. hard. You know, they probably have worked harder than, you know, the average person has worked hard to pay, you know, but we as a society have such issue with that, you know. Well, incarceration, it, you know, you pay your debt to society and it's the debt that you keep paying. <laughs> you know, it doesn't go away. And in a competitive, you know, job market, it's so difficult for people who come out of prison. Um, they've spent time behind bars instead of developing job skills, job experience. Often uh, there's a problem with you know, educational attainment and you put these individuals and there's 700,000 people being released every year. Wow. So, so you multiply um, our two guests by, by that number. Um, it's a huge number of people coming out every year and in a competitive economy if you have a record, it's just very, very difficult. So how do you expect people to succeed? That's why, you know, one of the, one of the routes, I guess, um, is education, by improving your educational attainment. And, and both Chip and, and Tyrone have um, clearly, you know, taken that route. But it's a tremendously uphill battle. And uh, I tell you, I, I'm, I'm totally <laughs> in awe of people who have bounced back like but Chip and right. Uh, That's so. My next question actually lends itself quite nicely. Is they've bounced back. You bring up an excellent point. They got. They went. They're educated. Mm -hmm. Now what? Do they put their? Do they put the fact that they were incarcerated on their resume? It, it's a lapse of time, right? Mm -hmm. So how do they clearly articulate, or how do they communicate that they've had this lapse of time? What they've done to overcome this, and you know, now they're in the work world. How are we going to yeah. get them? You know, how are we going to get them jobs? Well, that that's that's the problem. I mean, one of the problems is that employers do bank around checks, right? And so, you know, you, it's not something <laughs> you can hide. Um, but I think by doing the kinds of things and getting the support that they have and developing their social networks. I think um, you know that's pretty. You can only control what you can control yourself. You can't control what other people think. Uh, that's an excellent point. We can only can control what we control ourselves. And I think Tyrone was saying about that self-belief and you know and how incredibly important that is. And I think that we all need to remember that how important that is. So now, what advice could you give anybody that is you know starting over? I guess if you will. Well, I think do whatever you can to improve your skills, you know, your, your competitive skills, uh, improve your educational attainment, um, try to have uh, positive uh, social networks, and most of all, it sounds like what they did, which was so important, is not give up hope. 
I'm just taking that in for a second because I love that not give up hope. I always, you know, when I was going through myself a really hard time, I had a bracelet that said hope. And I think that we see jewelry lots of times that say hope, love, and that all means something when we look at it, strength, whatever it may be. But let's go back to, we, we were talking a little bit about addiction and the impact that addiction has on a family, right? And I know that you and I spent some time talking about this. So Chip, suffered from addiction right now he has to regain the confidence of his family that's a tough that's a tough nut to it's crack very very tough for any anybody who has a family member who has suffered from the disease of addiction the I think as Chip put it there's damaged relationships and you know one of the big issues is trust and because of the nature of the disease it takes a very very long time to build that trust and I think you have to take baby steps and it's like the time you just need a lot of time but how do, to so we're we're, we're talking about chip right but mm -hmm. seriously but how does the family you know what i mean how, what advice would you give to the family like chip comes out he's like i'm re you know i'm i'm no longer an alcoholic i'm i'm recovered and i'm out of prison what how can the family really trust them again other than time i mean is there steps that he could take to rebuild that trust? Well, I think part of what the family has to do is they have to kind of readjust how they view the family member who has suffered from addiction. And for the individual, if they're continuing to take positive steps in their recovery, going to meetings of, of, of whatever, um, staying clean and sober, having trustworthy behaviors, it's a gradual process. It's a, and it takes years. And I think, um, you know, forgiveness is a, is, a huge, is a huge risk for family members because you kind of feel like you've been duped once, <laughs> you've been duped many times. So why should I trust this person now? What's different? And it's up to the individual to show that they are taking positive steps, that they are in recovery and being active in their recovery. I think a key word that you said actually is forgiveness, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that sometimes we all forget to forgive ourselves, Yeah. right? So I think that the young people, you know, we're here on campus and there's a lot of young people here. I think that the young people today sometimes forget to forgive themselves. A self-forgiveness is, is, is a huge challenge. I think most people are probably harder on themselves than they are on others. And sometimes you just have to stop that thought and think about, well, how, how can I treat myself kindly? How can I silence or quiet that, that voice in the back of my head that says, <laughs> that is so negative, um, and treat yourself like you would treat a loved one with forgiveness, compassion, um, and kindness. I always like to say, treat yourself like your own best friend, right? That's a great so, idea, yeah. so if you wouldn't say it to, if you wouldn't say it to your best friend, why would you say it to yourself, right? Yeah. Is there any other advice that we could give young people today before we close? Uh, any <laughs> other advice? Well, um, we want them to. <laughs> we, we could we could spend a whole show on that. But yes. is there one piece of you know we, we're telling them to forgiveness, treat themselves? I guess if someone's feeling that they're needing to talk to somebody, we. I think you have to reach out. You can't. Don't ever suffer in silence. You need to reach out to somebody you trust, and that could be a family member, a friend, it could be a professional, and really to get help before whatever problem you're suffering from 
becomes worse because usually problems do come do become worse if you don't take care of them. That's like the best way to end the show. Do not <laughs> suffer in silence. That's great <laughs> advice. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you being on our show today. You're welcome, Lisa. Thank you. Today's guests have proven that even in the most hopeless situations possible, we all have it within ourselves to overcome the adversity that life throws into our paths. It can take weeks, months, even years, even decades. But if we've learned anything today, it's that we can be inspired by the hard-earned lessons of change that others have been good enough to share. We'll see you next time on Bouncing Back. <laughs>